0: One of my best friends in the world. This, uh, I have Professor Chris Mims here. Chris, man, how yeah. are you doing, dude?
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing, Ahmed?
0: I'm doing good, thank you. Um, oh, I'm also going to throw this up on YouTube when we're done, too. So it's another way. Um, so if some of you are watching it on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe. But today or this evening, we're going to be talking about something really serious. Uh, the topic for today... We're actually not going to be talking about video games. We're going to be talking about um, race and racism. And uh, we might delve into politics a little bit. But what inspired this was the the action or the event that took place. Has it been a week now, maybe, Chris, with um, um, George Floyd?
1: Not, I, honestly, uh, Matt, it, 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 I think it was the beginning of the week. But it honestly feels like a year since it happened, doesn't
0: it? It does yes um, so of course you guys know the um, the incident that occurred in um, in Minneapolis where a police a white police officer um, was arresting a black a black man but instead of just putting handcuffs on him and throwing him in his car he put his knee on his neck for around nine minutes and basically choked him out so I'm um, it, the video is very hard to watch uh so if you haven't watched it that's that's kind of what started this and even before that incident there are so many other incidences that occurred so maybe we can talk about that but i just wanted to give everybody kind of a little bit of a background um chris maybe if you can just introduce yourself uh, you tell us what you do and uh and maybe we can go from there and then we can just kind of dive right into it
1: yeah okay yeah so yeah thanks man so yeah my name's uh christopher uh and uh yeah first of all i've been i I, i've been friends with the med since like what 2000. Mm -hmm. yeah for the last 20 20 years right yes yes sir crazy right that we've known each other for that long yeah um so yeah we've been we've been buddies since college um but um we we both went to arizona state i went to arizona state university and uh, i have my bachelor's in communication studies uh i graduated in 2003. And uh, I also uh, have a master's degree in educational leadership from Arizona, uh, from Northern Arizona University. And I have a master's in communication studies from Arizona State University. And uh, currently I'm a professor of communication studies at Gateway Community College in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And then also I am currently working on my PhD in uh, communications through the Hugh Down School of Human Communication at Arizona State University. Um, So in that area of scholarship, I focus on uh, critical studies, race, uh, and the intersection of of race, politics, and religion. And so that's where my area of scholarship focuses on. And uh, I enjoy having conversations about um, uh, looking at the phenomenon of how we experience and express our identities, how we interact with each other, and how race impacts and influences those interactions. So that's a little bit about my background and what I do, and uh, when Ahmed asked me to uh, be a part of his podcast uh, and talk about this serious subject, because I think we were both kind of, um, and I don't want to speak for you, Ahmed, but I think like when when you approached me, I sensed from you that we're we both watched the uh, the footage, and it was just like what the hell, like it. Mm-hmm. We at least for me and Ahmed, you can you can give your account. But what i saw murder, i saw murder like i saw a mm-hmm. dude being murdered and um i i was joking about the and i didn't mean to be callous but i was talking to some friends i'm just we were just talking about how cold-blooded that murder was and how he just had his knee on the dude's neck for like eight minutes and he's just straight looking at the the camera as the dude was filming it and i said you know i remember the time where there used to be a little bit of production value in in killing black people. I remember when cops used to like sprinkle crack on the guy <laughs> or like plant a gun on him. Mm-hmm. This guy did none of that. He didn't even waste time doing any of that. He just literally knelt on his neck until he was dead. And I, I watched that in my in my office at the beginning of the week. And I sat mm-hmm. in my office and cried. Mm-hmm. Like I saw. It. And I'm not an emotional crier. Mm-hmm. but that was just wrong you know it's just wrong and and uh and I think that prompted a a, a med to con- connect with me and just have this conversation so yeah man mm-hmm. that's that's why I'm here and uh maybe some people out there listening might benefit from it
0: hey control welcome to the stream um yeah chris that video like I was telling you before we got started it was really hard to watch but it it like it really angered me and just like the way he did it, too, like it was kind of out in the open and um, he had his hands in his pocket and and people were just telling him, you know, get, you know you're know, you choking this guy, you're choking him, you know, like like you're going to kill him man, like get your knee off his neck. And then there's another picture. I don't know if you know this, Chris, but there was like three other police officers behind that guy. So one, of them, could, one of them could have easily stepped in and be like, hey, man, you know, like, OK, he's already handcuffed. Uh, you know, let's just—if they needed to do this, let's just you know put him in the car and take him in for processing or whatever. But nobody else did that, and I think that concerned me even more. It wasn't just him by himself; it was four of them all together, three of them not saying anything. Uh, hey, Blade Master, welcome to the stream. L- you know what? Let me ask. You, let's just—I guess we kind of dived in already, but what? What do you think causes this? Like, how does somebody get to that point where he can do this to another fellow human being? You know what I mean? I know it's kind of a tough question. So
1: so no, it's a good question. One of the things I I just want to kind of track back a little bit when when you were talking about the three the three there is one guy who was kind of facing the people who were filming and then the footage that you're referring, there was a guy kneeling on the neck, right? That, that officer was kneeling on that guy's neck. Yeah. And there was another officer, I think he was like, um, I wanna say he was like Vietnamese, uh, he was mm. Asian, and he was talking to the crowd. Yeah. And then, there, and then the, video, the, the footage that you were talking about shows the officer with his knee on his neck, and then there was three other men that were holding this guy down while the white officer, the, the one officer uh, kept his knee on his neck. So the, that that bothered me um, and stood out to me just like it stood out to you, man. Mm-hmm. One of the things that stood out to me was like the fact that none of the people, not the one uh, Asian gentleman or the three other cops that were holding him down, sat there and said, hey, bro, he's not being responsive. Get up off of him.
2: Mm.
1: You know, like – yeah why didn't anybody it it'd be one thing if it was an isolated incident where it's just one cop that went too far yes but there were four other police officers there too and none of them spoke up and i think you know that that indicates or it it, it, it gives credence to looking at what's called the bystander effect and there's a really good uh scholar sociologist that studies it there's a few sociologists that study it, mm-hmm. but the one that's that one that comes to my mind most readily is a, a gentleman named Jackson Katz. Uh, he does some phenomenal documentaries. If you haven't had a chance to watch his, his documentary, please do. Okay. Um, one of them is called Tough Guys Too, mm-hmm. uh, which has to do with gender and violence, and the other one's called um, Bystander, uh, the Bystander Effect, mm-hmm. and that talks about rape culture. And when he's looking at particularly rape culture, what he finds out is that. Uh, it's one thing to tell somebody or to train a young gentleman, hey, when you're in a situation with a woman, um, here's how you can, you know, here's how you can prevent sexual assault. Mm-hmm. But what happens a lot of times is that the people around the event, right, who see the event, um, those people don't speak up. Especially among men, where there's a culture of maybe objectifying women or assaulting women, mm-hmm. uh, If the other men are doing it, it makes it very unlikely for any other men to speak out and say, stop this, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's a a sociology concept called the the bystander effect. And it's saying Hmm. if if there's a culture within the side of a department where people don't speak up against things that are wrong, it makes it unlikely that anybody will speak up. And I think the bystander effect can definitely be applicable to this situation, which to me – Hints at a culture, cultural problem within law enforcement, mm-hmm. that is not one person doing something bad, but it's other people who are paralyzed to intervene for what's right. And that's uh that's a bigger problem than just one rogue racist cop. Um as far as how we got here, um Do you no, hear that
0: beeping? Hang on. It, sorry to interrupt you. Is there a beeping going on? Oh, sorry, that's on my is, end.
1: Yes, it's on your end. Uh, my bad, dude. Yep,
0: sorry, go no ahead. Dude.
1: Uh, I'm just getting some gum. So
0: So you're talking about the bystander effect?
1: Yeah, the bystander effect. Outside of the bystander effect, I think one important thing really to look at, when we're asking the question, why can somebody take a person's life like that?
3: Yeah.
1: And I right now, uh, my wife and I, before we did this podcast, we were watching all the different protests around the country i think there's mm-hmm. 25 cities with curfews wow los angeles chicago detroit las vegas los angeles new york washington dc atlanta um, minneapolis of course um lexington kentucky like they had one in, in work my hometown in phoenix but one thing that I think is important in the midst of all these protests and, and especially the violent ones, you know, the violent ones are a different thing altogether.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This racial animus, this 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 racial oppression, this stuff is systemic, and so it's it's important to have perspective, in my opinion, on this to realize that our anger shouldn't be solely directed at this gentleman who knelt on or this officer who murdered this black guy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a symptom. What Mm -hmm. we saw earlier this week, George Floyd, that's a symptom of a more larger systemic societal problem that has been in our society for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And the founding of our nation, America was not built for black and brown people. It was Mm -hmm. not built for people of different faiths. It was built for white male Christian Protestants. And... Let me ask you this. Those problems, you might see other events like this happen in the future.
0: Sorry to interrupt you. I was just going to ask you. um, You brought up something important. What do you say to those people that, um, that say, like, well, please don't bring up slavery, Chris, because that happened, like, 300 years ago. And then now, you know, we no longer do that. So please stop bringing that up. But I feel like oh, go ahead I want to get your your no. no, no go
1: ahead. Yeah, go ahead. What what do you feel like? Man, tell me. What what are your thoughts?
0: I think it's very important to study our history, especially um you know the the history of slavery in the United States because this is definitely, you know, you're talking about the root of the problem. I think it definitely stems from that time and it's still lingering from that time. Yes, we don't have slaves anymore. But yeah, it definitely stems back from 2 to 300 years ago. I mean, if you look at it this way, you know, maybe somebody or somebody's father lived in the uh, Jim Crow era era, or the segregation period. Like people alive still remember where they couldn't drink from the same fountain as the as the white person. And that was like like 60 years ago, like 50, 60 years ago. Like when you really think about it, that's not that's not that long ago. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about it is is that yeah, you can't own a person anymore. You can't physically own a dude anymore. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that the history and the effects of it don't ripple throughout society. Mm-hmm. The slave trade started um in, in in 1620, 1629, It's when really the slave market in um in the west in the in in, in America um started to become an actual thing, an economic engine for the people who were settling the country or, or arriving to America. That's when the slave trade started to become um, become popular. And so, really, when you're looking at you know how long it's taken, and let's let put things into perspective. Yeah. And this is what I this is always what I want want people to do is put things in perspective. Slave trade started primarily in 1629. They abolished slavery in 1865. So that's mm-hmm. 220 years, if my math is correct, of slavery, mm-hmm. right? And then there is a brief reconstruction period between 18, 1865 and 1871. But that Reconstruction period was, was torn apart, and they instituted Jim Crow laws in the Black Codes of the South mm-hmm. from 18, 1871 to 1965, when Lyndon B. Johnson passed the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. So here's what we got. We got 220 years of slavery.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: We have, on top of that, another 100 years of legal laws that segregated and subjugated Black people. And then in the last, let's see, 1965 till now, that's 45, 50 years of, of, of rights, legal rights. That's not a lot of time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And so in the grand scheme of things, you enslave people for 220 years, and then you treat them like third-class citizens another 100 years. Mm-hmm. And then there's just been 50 years, and we want to wash our hands and say we're good. hmm it doesn't it doesn't work that way yeah in, in, in to understand how virulent and how sinful slavery was um you you have to understand that they black people were bred we weren't wow. born like you remember the matrix where mm-hmm. they said humans were bred to feed the machine
3: mm-hmm.
1: black people were bred like a a mother could give birth to a child
3: mm-hmm.
1: and that child could be sold As property. Husbands and wives could be sold. Families Mm -hmm. could be sold off. Mm -hmm. They auctioned human bodies. Black bodies. They checked their gums. Like you check a horse's gums. To make sure that they're a good strong. Worker. We weren't weren't people. We were property. Mm -hmm. And so that went on for 265 years. What's interesting. Is everybody thinks Lincoln was an abolitionist. He really wasn't as much of an abolitionist as we think he was. His main conflict with the Confederate states wasn't the abolishment of slavery. It was to deny the expansion of slavery. That's where the, the, the Confederacy had butted heads with, with, with Abraham Lincoln. He was doing everything to appease them. He just said, hey, and these new territories like Arizona and California and New Mexico don't expand the slave trade. And they wanted to expand the slave trade. And that's what they did. And so um, that, and it came to a head and they succeeded from the union. Um, But that went on for so long. And then immediately, even though the 13th Amendment abolished slavery, they came up with these Jim Crow laws, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: which were complete BS and curfews. um, um, Black people could be arrested and interrogated. We had to have a job. We had to have a white person vouch for us. Uh, We had to make sure we had separate facilities. Um, there was these, there was a, a group of laws that were written to to subjugate and treat black people even though we have the 13th amendment on the books they came up with a whole new game plan to keep black people oppressed mm-hmm. then in 18 1965 when they finally made outlawed the jim crow laws and they made mm-hmm. those segregation laws unconstitutional what happened then we then they rewrote the laws and then now we have what's called the war on drugs.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's a new there's there are new laws that came out in the 70s and 80s. And you remember Ahmed like say no to drugs, mm-hmm. say no, all that crap by yeah. Nancy Reagan. Mm-hmm. They disproportionately put black people in prison. And here's how you know they did. Mm-hmm. The, the the sentence, the, the jail sentence for crack cocaine for possession of crack cocaine was 10 times heavier than the possession of cocaine. Now, where do you find cocaine at? You find those in the nicer, more elite communities. You find crack in poor communities. Mm. So if a person caught with crack, they're gonna spend 10 times, you're gonna throw the book at them. If a person's caught in the suburbs with cocaine, they'll be walking the street within weeks. Mm. If not caught, to jail at all because those areas are policed differently. And so when they wrote all these laws, these three strikes you're out, mandatory minimum, uh, 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 mandatory minimum laws written by both Republicans and Democrats, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Joe Biden, uh, prominent Democrats who stood behind these laws too, disproportionately put Black and Brown pr- prisons and people in prison, mm-hmm. and then pr- the prisons themselves were then sold and they were uh, privatized and they were they were uh, publicly traded entities that profited off of the subjugation and the oppression of black and brown bodies. There's a great book uh, for your viewers to read. It's by a lady named Michelle Alexander. Mm -hmm. She's a professor at Ohio State University. It's called The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. And she goes in deep about the prison industrial complex to the fact that she says in her book that there are are more black men in some phase of the criminal justice system the mm-hmm. criminal system, than they were enslaved in 1865, a year before, or 1864, a year before the, the Civil War ended. Wow. And so what we've seen is now the resiliency of racism never goes away, it changes. You know, instead of mm-hmm. get, having lynchings that, that took place in the South,
3: mm-hmm.
1: now we have police brutality. You know, instead of uh, enslaving people on a plantation, uh, we we imprison them disproportionately to whites uh, for the same kind of crimes. Black people don't do any more drugs than white people do, but we throw them in jail more often for the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a when I say the word systemic, and I throw that word out a lot, mm-hmm. that means that racial inequality are actually embedded in the structures of society. Our justice systems, our policing, uh, how laws are written, how voting laws are written, how uh, um, municipalities, cities, and local governments execute their laws, how they allocate their resources, how they fund our schools, mm. how they fund policing practices. All these things are, are, are the laws that are on the books for different areas that are have different demographics. All these things are inside of a system that is used, a web of, of practices and laws and customs that are used to subjugate and oppress people of color and what we're seeing with george floyd is literally a byproduct or symptom of that systematic oppression
0: wow man you said so much during that time like a a lot of profound statements i guess my question would be oh uh one of my viewers said uh this professor has good points Um, (laughs) (laughs) something you know i well let me ask you this then so Obviously, we know that someone isn't born uh, with racist thoughts or or tendencies or whatever. Like, how does this how is this carried on? Like, like, are they like when kids grow up, they're they're just seeing um, how their parents are treating people of color and then they just emulate their behavior. Um, Or is it more of a social conditioning? You know, uh, because I'm thinking it happens when they're young, like, you know, like because their parents think of a certain way and then maybe as their kids grow up they teach them so i wanted to get your your thoughts on that you know like we kind of we started with the slavery era and then we worked all 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 the way up to this time so i guess now in 2020 you know like are these people like that police officer for example do you think his parents were racist or do you think maybe as he he grew up he just kind of chose, I don't know, like, could people just choose that or is it like they're conditioned from their, I guess that's what my question to you is, you know, like, are they more conditioned from their environment or is it something they pick up from their parents?
1: Yeah, it could be both, Ahmed. Honestly, it really could be both. Uh, I think we've seen cases of both. I think you can have a situation where an individual can grow up in a family that teaches uh, racial intolerance and bigotry and they pick that up. And then you can also, and I've known people, I mean, it's anecdotal, right, evidence, Mm but I've known people to be raised in families where their parents were bigots, and Mm -hmm. they grew up much more tolerant than their parents, They've, you know, because they were able to develop relationships, or they were able to connect with aspects of another culture um, that they were fond of, and so they were able to uh, um, interact with people to lay down their biases, Uh, people who were different. Um, you know you're my first you and your brothers were mm-hmm. my first muslim friends mm-hmm. right i didn't i didn't know any i didn't know any muslims before I met you guys and mm-hmm. so I might have encountered them but you know there's there are stereotypes about Muslims right and yep. honestly dude like if I didn't interact with you guys and get to know you guys I could have some pretty messed up understanding of Muslims you know mm-hmm. and so because I had the privilege of having you guys as like like what I consider my brothers, mm-hmm. um, it, it allowed me that experience of of, of of connecting with you guys and getting to, you know, allowed me to defeat some of those stereotypes where
3: people
1: mm. might be Islamophobic, uh, uh, experiencing Islamophobia. I can look at it and say, uh, no, it doesn't work that way, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that when you're... And I was raised in a family where we weren't taught that islam was good Mm -hmm. and we were not that islam was bad and so because of the because of the silence on that on that matter Mm -hmm. uh easily fallen into the camp where i thought that islam was bad because i wasn't taught either way and so then Mm -hmm. society could pick up where my family didn't deal with those things Mm -hmm. uh but luckily i wasn't taught those things but I, my friendships with you guys helped me along the way to develop uh, awareness, uh, understanding, and, uh, and and openness to that. Um, mm. So there are families where race isn't talked about. And depending on how the kid grows up, he could go either way. Uh, but I have seen where kids grow up tolerant, where their parents teach them about race at a young age and they still grow up straight up racist. Hmm. Interesting story, Stephen yeah. Miller, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's uh, he's an advisor to, to President Trump. And I'm sorry if there's Trump people out there watching your podcast. Mm-hmm. But Miller is probably the most xenophobic, racist um, person, uh, I would say, probably outside of Andrew Jackson. Um, mm-hmm. He is a bigot. Mm. And he grew up in a liberal, tolerant Jewish family. And he turned into uh, a complete and utter bigot. Wow. So you can have people who grew up in very tolerant environments mm-hmm. turn into bigots. And you can have people who are raised in very bigoted va- environments turn into tolerant people. Um, I think it's probably the best situation is for people to grow up in tolerant families and to also learn tolerant things from society. And... Um, it's 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 one of the things that's important though to keep in mind, Ahmed, is that mm-hmm. in society there's a lot of things that it, that that teach race to us, you know, in good mm-hmm. ways and in bad ways. Like I think about it, like when you think about heaven,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what color do you think of? White. White. When you think of hell, you think of what?
0: Darkness. Like, Darkness.
1: Yeah. Black. Red. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? uh angel food cake is what color what devil's food cake is what black right when you're black ball chocolate means, <laughs> yeah cho- so you, you understand there's all these things mm-hmm. in society where we um we elevate white as purity mm. and, and 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 then black is like what's considered dirt dirty mm-hmm. uh, and 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 uh what's the word um tarnished or or blemished. Mm-hmm. So dark is blemished and pure and white and purity is white. And we have this whole understanding of that in our society in a very implicit um subconscious realm. Mm-hmm. And I think that plays out into a lot of our society. And one thing I, I think it's really important, Matt, is to get out of this mentality that only white people subscribe to this system.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um they've done studies and, and African Americans actually um, are more favorable to whiter images of beauty, Mm. of aesthetics. Um, We're more drawn to that. And as an African-American, sometimes I have to confront my own social conditioning Mm -hmm. that elevates whiteness as well. Uh, You know, there'll be times where I'll, I've told my students, there'll be times where I'm driving down the street. I'll see a couple of white dudes walking, young white guys walking without their shirts on, mm-hmm. and I'll be thinking, like, "Oh, they just got done playing football practice or something like that." I'll drive down the street and see a bunch of black kids walking out their shirts on. I'm like, "Yo, yeah, what, what? What's up? You good? We good?" Like mm-hmm. immediately, my awareness just kind of ratchets up because to me, the black physical body, the mm-hmm. black physical aesthetic is inextricably tied a lot of times to violence, danger, evil, and I'm African American and I still Mm -hmm. have these, these, uh, I make these connections. Mm -hmm. And so I'm making these connections and other black people are making these connections. A lot of white people are are making these connections as well. Mm -hmm. It's so important, I think that we have to, destigmatize racism and we have to destigmatize prejudice because what happens a lot of times is we'll talk to white people about prejudice and racism and it's such a stigmatized thing that as soon as we start talking about race i'm not a racist don't call me racist because nobody wants to be called racist yeah i think we got to take the stigma out of it and say listen we all have racist and prejudiced ideas to some extent let's work on unlearning these things doesn't mean you're a bad person. I mean, yeah, if you're burning a cross in my yard and Mm -hmm. you start lynching people or you kneel on their neck till they pass out, you're a bad dude. Mm -hmm. But just because you hold bigoted or racial ideas doesn't mean you as an entire person are unredeemable. We have to be able to love people back into health, back into community, and back into Mm -hmm. polite society. And we have to give them the grace to make a mistake, they're gone we got to relax on the council culture mm.
0: and figure out how we can heal people and make people whole and bring them into taller of a similar story to you. I was watching a show called, called Homeland. Uh, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you know that one or yeah. not, but I watched a little bit of it and um, it was interesting at first. So it's about, um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it's about a, a soldier who goes to uh, to Iraq and then he becomes a prisoner for like five years or something like that. And then he returns to the States. And like something is off, but you don't know what exactly, right? And everyone just, they want to make sure this, this guy's okay. But it gets to a point in the show where uh, this guy's hanging out with his family. Everything's cool. And then he's like, um, you know, like I have to go somewhere, whatever. And he goes to his garage and, you know, like he's playing tense music. And all of a sudden he pulls out uh, a prayer rug. And he starts, he's like, Allah, I'm like, oh, snap, this guy's a terrorist. (laughs) And then I'm like, whoa, 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 (laughs) pump the brakes. Like, (laughs) wait a minute, I'm a Muslim and I can't believe that that was my first instinct was just to assume, I mean, maybe in the show, like, I don't remember, I didn't continue watching it. Like, I don't know if he actually turns out to be a terrorist in the show, but I just thought it was funny how, like, that was my first reaction, you know, as a. As a Muslim, like, I, I can't believe that I got conditioned to the point. So kind of like you, like, if I got conditioned to believe that, right? like, that was my first instinct. Like, you can only imagine what non-Muslims, you know, w- would think when they see that, you know. So I just, like, that blew my mind. Um, I just wanted to say that. And then um, also you're talking about, um, you know, giving people a chance and if they're willing to learn and and uh and want to get better you know like we should be, be there to help them that remind and i'm really bad with names but there is this um black gentleman who makes friends with kkk members he did a ted I talk saw you saw that you know what yeah. i'm talking about that yeah, it's crazy. blew me away i was shocked i'm like this guy has big cojones <laughs> like to do something like that You know, so basically what this guy does um, is he reaches out to members of the KKK and he just um, interacts with them and and tries to be friends with them. But what's interesting um, is that he's been really successful at making a lot of friends like they accept him, even though they don't like black people. And he is a black man. And what he's happened uh, and what's amazing is that he's had people give up the hood. And no longer be a part of the KKK. Like yeah. when I first heard about this guy, like that blew me away. And I was just thinking about that when you're talking about it. Like if this guy has the patience to sit down with his enemy or with people who perceive him as an enemy, you know, so they get to know him, you know, like what, like what a crazy, but like what a great idea at the same time. You know, I think this goes back to what you're saying. Like I feel like a lot of racism comes from ignorance. You know, like, you know, I could speak about myself being, being an Arab, being a Muslim. Like, that's the first thing they'll probably think of. You know, if they see this beard, if they see the way I look, you know, if they, if they see me praying or whatever, they're going to have negative thoughts because the media has given them negative thoughts about Islam. But if they take a second, like, hey, you know, let me talk to this guy, or if I talk to them, and they realize, okay, hey, he's not so bad. You know, he has uh, nice manners. Hopefully I have good manners. You know, um, or maybe I can break down some misconceptions about Islam. And when I do that and when they get a little bit more knowledge, you know, then hopefully that'll break down uh, those stereotypes. You know, that that's yeah. so I believe you're, you're a communication major. I'm a, a communication major as well. Um, got my bachelor's in interpersonal communication. I think that's very important. You're right. Like this is a tough dialogue to be had with people. Nobody likes talking about this. You know, like... But it needs to happen. We need to have more... dialogue. Like, I'm taking the time, and, and thank you for taking your time, to talk about this. Like, I can be, uh, you know, uh, playing a, a game or whatever. I can be streaming uh, whatever right. video game, but I feel like this is such an important topic. Like, we have to bring this up and and realize that it's okay to do this in a nice, civil manner. You know what I mean? So we can get more understanding of one another. We need to have... So I'm going on and on now I want to give the mic back to you, but I feel like if we have a more uh if we change our mentality like me or or them the them the other, and just say me and them kind of mentality, then that'll help unite us more but um when you have somebody who who's worried about um this race because you know they're coming from the south and they're gonna take you know they're rapists and criminals, or you know we don't want any Muslims because they're terrorists, or you know what I mean? Like, like we need to break those barriers down and kind of like do what what you're talking about and what that gentleman I was, I was telling you about earlier who who speaks to KKK members and um and 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 help unite you know our communities and yeah I don't know where, where I was going with that but. I, I do feel like communication is the key, and I think that's one thing that'll help uh, with racism. Yeah,
1: yeah you know, it, it's interesting because I, I saw that it was on a, the dude was on a Joe Rogan podcast, I think.
0: Yes. Uh-huh.
1: Um, and and when he was telling the story, like literally, some of the things some some of the interviews on Joe Rogan are okay, and then some of them are just like, whoa. I mean, he was one of the interviews where I was just like hanging on every word. Like, mm-hmm. how remember he talked about meeting the KKK dude oh. in hotel? <laughs> The Grand, Grand Wizard. Wizard, the Grand Wizard, yeah. Oh my <laughs> like, god! And the dude had like he had like a side, like a security <laughs> dude that had a gun. Yeah. And I'm just like, like I'm like, man, dude, like I got to be honest, man, my nuts would be tight. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, that is I'm, dangerous. It's very dangerous what he does. He's oh, like, so dudes yeah. don't
1: mess around, dude. And yeah, they even to they took him to a a a. One of those cross burnings. Yeah. You know, I just I when I was hearing these stories, it just sounded unreal. Like you're riding in a pickup truck. Hey, hold my rope, man. We gotta <laughs> we gotta we gotta do this, hold some rope. I'm like, wait, what? Wait, wait, hold up.
0: Look no further, you found him. <laughs>
1: yeah, look no further you found him. I'm like, am I the one getting lynched right here, Bubba? Or wow. like i to die. But yeah, that was a crazy story. There's this one. Um, I don't know if I sent this to you, man. I might have sent this to you a few years ago.
3: Mm-hmm. But
1: there's a guy. He was Marine Corps. He's a gentleman in the Marine. If not, I'll send it to you again. It was on okay. CBS this morning. This dude was in the Marine Corps, uh, United States Marine Corps. Fought in, uh, uh, I think it was Iraq mm-hmm. and Afghanistan, and he saw some things in war. But he came back with a hatred for Muslims, hated them. Mm -hmm. And when he would see women wearing the hijab, he became so filled with hatred. Mm. It was it was uncontrollable. Mm -hmm. And he tells a story, um, this white gentleman, and he talks about how like. I guess his daughter befriended a lady uh, uh, or somebody at their school and described how they dressed, and it was a Muslim woman who wore the the hijab and stuff like that, and he just went off on his daughter just spewing out hate about these people.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So finally his daughter looked at him like with such disappointment because she hadn't been conditioned yet to hate Muslims. Mm -hmm. So the guy, he he plots it out, and he's like, you know what, I'm going to bomb a mosque. He had Mm -hmm. everything planned out. He's gonna kill you know he was hoping to kill about 200 Muslims that convened at the mosque mm-hmm. so b- he before he went through with the plan to bomb the mosque he said okay let me just do this let me just go into the mosque mm-hmm. and find out what's going on with them find out why their religion is violent why uh, they are terrorists uh, why they kill people yeah. and then I'll have just the justification I need to kill them and so he goes in there and he, He asked them questions, and the guy's like, well, come in. He answers the guy's question and gives him a Quran. Mm -hmm. So then he he takes the Quran home and kind of reads the things that he told him, and he highlights all these questions. Well, look, it says this, and it says this, and it says this, and the guy's like, well, he explains this is why it says this. This is what this means in the Quran. Mm -hmm. This is what this means. And so he goes back, and he looks at it again, reads some different passages. Oh, I got you here. I got you here. Mm -hmm. Here's some things that are wrong with your religion. Goes back, and the guy Corrects him again and explains the religion to him. Mm-hmm. Make a long story short, the guy converted to Islam. And
0: mm-hmm. he, I see uh, that. It's amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. You saw that one? Mm-hmm. And he he's like one of the leaders at his local mosque. And he's like, listen, I'm a proud American, mm-hmm. I'm a proud veteran, and I'm also a proud Muslim. And it's a powerful story
3: mm-hmm.
1: that a person through interaction, through communication, through and it, it, it could have been so easy for her. imagine the imam. Is that, is it my mm-hmm. saying, right? EMOM? Yes. Uh
0: huh.
1: Mom be like, oh, look at this white country bubble bigot. Uh, get out of here. You're not going to mm-hmm. kill us. You're and just reject him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But he didn't, right? He was able to let, allow the guy to make mistakes, allow the guy to be angry, to allow the guy to ask questions, allow the guy to try to disprove to disprove islam Mm -hmm. and just by being tolerant rational calm and and caring he was able to love this guy out of hatred into health and and it may not work for everybody Mm man but it might work for a few and we got to always try
0: Mm -hmm. i I agree with you yeah we should if it can work with him you know i think it could definitely work with someone else just by communicating and clearing misconceptions that's exactly what i'm talking about like that's a Beautiful story because um, it definitely cleared the misconceptions in his head, and thank God that 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 happened. Can you imagine? Like if that didn't happen, he would have. It sounded like he would have carried out that attack. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because he it sounded like he had it planned out. You know, uh, yeah. he was going to do this, this, and that, and he was very strategic about it, and he knew what he was doing because he was in the military. It's like thank God, you know. I don't know what it was exactly that stopped him from doing that. Mm-hmm. You know whether it was his daughter you said it was his daughter that um, asked him a question or something yeah,
1: yeah yeah and how he responded made him feel ashamed and so he's like okay before i bomb these people let me leave so, and about about what, what it's about.
0: sorry we had a little bit of feedback um back there um you know i'm i'm curious like i've i wanted to kind of segue into this i was i was going to ask you this um all right, I asked you this uh, before we started, but like I've experienced racism, you know, personally, and I even shared it, I think, uh, on one of my Twitch streams. I don't know how we got into it, um, but has there, <laughs> not, I don't know how, how I should word this, because if I say has there ever been a time, I'm pretty sure there's been at least one time in your life where, you, where you've experienced it. And, and before you answer, I remember one time, I don't know if you remember this, when you and your mom picked me up and we were going to go somewhere. And I think your car door was, uh, it was like slightly opened. So you open the door and close it. And then we got pulled over because a cop was behind us. And then he was asking uh, you for your ID. He was asking for your mom's ID, even though she wasn't driving. Do you, I don't know if you remember this or not.
1: I don't. I don't. Yeah,
0: that, <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuck out in my, in my mind. But for you, what are some moments? It's just like, well, like it's just blatant like like blatant racism and and how did you handle it so that way maybe whoever's listening they can uh they can deal with it too like because we're not trying to incite any violence here we want to try to deal uh with things very peacefully right um so that, that being said like what happened to you and and how did you how did you overcome that or how did you handle it
1: well you know i've had people before like crossing the street um Just crossing the street during a, you know, where you have the walk sign and people pulling up and say "move it, nate," you know, "move it, nigger," and I've had people call me that before. Wow. Uh, I've had people, um, I've had cops pull me over for no good reason. When I was 15 years old, uh, my brother and I were pulled out of our house at at about uh, 10:30 at night and uh, questioned about assaulting a white woman. Um, And they pulled us out on our porch and made the lady in the car drive by. With the lights really? shining in our faces. Um, when did this happen, dude?
0: You didn't you never old, told me about years, that. Yeah, 15 years old. Wow. That's
1: years crazy. Old. And, and um, yeah, and then I, we got pulled over by our cops once again um, a few years later. And well, it was about a year later, my brother started driving. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know, and part of it is my mom just never taught us how to deal with police officers mm. because we we're they're bad people. And a cop pulled us over and we got, and we, we opened the door of the car and she pulled a gun on us and told us to get back in her car.
0: Wow. You had a gun pulled and, on you by a yeah, police officer? So uh, mm
1: hmm. Wow. And so from that point on, you kind of learned that you stay in your car, right? Which mm. we should have done. Yeah. But that gun drawn on us, right? Um, mm. That was, uh, we're, we thought when you get pulled over, you get out there and talk to them. Mm. And that was, yeah. Uh, yeah, you don't, <laughs> yeah, do, you that don't do that. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, um, those are some of the things that kind of really stick out uh, in my mind. I know there's a lot more, Um, you know, you see uh, prejudice in, in, in organizations. Sometimes uh, I've I've experienced in my career to some degrees to where um, you're treated differently. Well, you know what? Mm -hmm. i tell you what, when I, when I was a kid, I'll never forget. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lady at the church uh, it's a predominantly white white church and school that we went through growing up
3: School
1: mm-hmm. well, in the church were connected and we were told as a kid that we were, we were gonna get a ride home with this lady after and it was kindergarten it's so the first day in kindergarten mm-hmm. brand new school so after uh, after we finished uh, with school I met up with these girls I was supposed to meet up with and, and I was supposed to go and go home with them and the lady's like no you you can't Go home with me. And it was because we were black. And she had agreed to take us home up until the point she found out that we were black kids. And she said, no. You were in kindergarten? You were in kindergarten? Wow. Yeah. And that was my first kind of insight of like, oh, there's people who just don't like me because of my race. You know, and I've Mm -hmm. had teachers growing up say things like, you know, well, slavery really wasn't that bad because they treated the slaves really good. What and they, they really looked out for the slaves, and that these were history teachers who they, they looked
0: out them. for the slaves
1: as like wow. racist as hell, right? <laughs> yeah, and I'm so, sorry, it's
0: that's the craziest thing I've ever, heard. Yeah, right?
1: right
0: you know? <laughs> they took care of them as they were whipping yeah, them.
1: <laughs> fix me a sandwich roll, I'll kill you, you know. <laughs> I think you know, something like that. that's crazy. Wow. Um, so like, yeah, it was crazy, and so. You know, man, and so you still i still kind of see racism, not as much as like in my job, but in society at large, mm-hmm. you you start to see it. And I, I tell you what, and I, and I don't mean to make it terribly political, man, but go ahead, man. Back in two thousand five, I'll just say this: I was—I was before I met my wife. I was—I was dating this chick.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: We
1: didn't go on a lot of dates. We just went on a couple dates, mm-hmm. but I was seen this chick and she was from Ohio. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, you get to know a person, you ask, hey, what are you, what are you into? What are your, what are your things that are you passionate about? She's like, well, I'm really passionate about politics. I'm like, oh, okay. She's from Ohio. I guess she moved out to Arizona. She's like, I really, really, really am a huge supporter of Barack Obama. And like, if, if you never heard the dude's name before, she could have said Dikembe Mutombo to me. I'm like, (laughs) who is this Aborigine dude? Like, where's this guy from? Mm-hmm. Dakimbe, who? She's like Barack. <laughs> I'm like, I've never heard of this guy cat's name before. She's like, Oh my gosh, he could be the next president of the United States. I'm like, Wow. She, no, she said he could be the first black president of the United States. I'm looking at, she's white chick. I'm looking at this white chick like she was crazy. I'm like, You a white girl. Barack, Dakimbe, Barack Hussein Obama. Yeah, Barack, <laughs> this dude ain't ever gonna be president. Mm-hmm. You hang that shit up. I remember thinking that like wow. And then like a couple years later, this Hussein cat was running for, you know, Barack Hussein Obama was running Mm -hmm. for president. And like, oh, that's that that's that remember how you watch Homeland? Mm -hmm. He said, Oh, that's a terrorist. Oh, there's that there's that crazy black dude. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Radical crazy guy. Oh man, he needs to get off stage and let the real people talk mm-hmm. and then I sat there and listened to him and after one time listening to him I was listen not listening to him in, as far as his eloquence yeah but listening to his ideas mm-hmm. and how focused he was and how logical and and how he was working through issues and knowledgeable and and, and and about things that were going on and I watched another debate with him I'm just like about a second debate was like holy crap like this dude is on point. He's on mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And I was like, can't tell, he's clearly the best best candidate. Mm-hmm. He, he became the president of the United States. And I was just, I was floored. I was floored. And and he was not only that, but he he not only was he smart, knowledgeable, but he carried himself with dignity. Mm-hmm. And he was just he to me, he was a good person. And you can sit there and say, Man, Obama's policies were garbage. Mm-hmm. Man, I will fight you on it. I will not debate you on it. I may not agree, mm-hmm. but I'm not. There's some policies that I didn't like. There's some policies, that I but Great. I will debate if somebody says and says he was a jerk. He was mean spirited. Mm-hmm. He was a bad dude. He mm-hmm. was terrible. His wife. He's a terrible father. He's a terrible husband. Mm-hmm. He was mean spirited. Like he was petty. No, you can't say probably, that. Yeah, you can't say that about him. Mm-hmm. You know, you to say that he was very gracious and very professional, very dignified. Gets in the office, and I see how pe- these people treated him, saying that you know, protesting him, mm. at saying that he was some kind of you know, with signs of him being some kind of African witch doctor, um, saying that wow. you know, the whole birtherism that he wasn't born in America, mm-hmm. that he was born in, in Kenya, mm-hmm. that he's a Muslim, as if it was an insult, mm-hmm. as if it was a freaking <laughs> insult. I was sitting there with some of my Christian friends and they were mm-hmm. like at one we we're at a, a um an event and they're mm-hmm. like oh yeah Obama's a Muslim and they're like and this one guy spoke up and was no he isn't he's a Christian and they're like no he is he's a Muslim and they're like Chris what do you think I'm like oh, What if he so what if he is yeah what if a president is anything but Christian is that a problem? Mm-hmm. Don't we live in a religiously plural society? Mm-hmm. You and know that why is being a Muslim and you got you mm. got to really unpack this, man? Because this is yeah. out there. Being a Muslim is not is not synonymous with being an American.
0: Yeah, mm, for a,
1: sure. Being a, being a Muslim, like being a Christian, is yeah. being an American. Yes. they fit right together. Yes, but being a Muslim is uh, there's this gap between being a Muslim and being an American, mm-hmm. and people can't put those two together. Mm-hmm. And so, if were to have a Muslim president. That's unam. They see this american mm-hmm. They don't see that. I see this. I see this all the time mm-hmm. with uh, the pre- the the Congress lady out of uh, out of uh, Minnesota, Omar oh,
0: Ilhan Omar.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. they consistently talk about spread rumors how she's working with Al Qaeda, mm-hmm. she's working with the Taliban, mm-hmm. she's working with uh, these terrorist organizations. You can hate her politics. Mm-hmm. But because she's Muslims, there automatically comes a question to her faithfulness or her fidelity to the United States of America. Mm-hmm. There's this suspicion that happens, and it's 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 unreal. But to get back to Obama, mm-hmm. I saw how racial they were towards him and how they would accuse him of shucking and jiving, which is racist as hell. Uh, they would accuse him of... Not being dignified enough. Um, uh, they just, everything they could find fault with, they found fault with. They said he wasn't articulate. They said he wasn't an expert uh, on law. He didn't know what he's talking about. He didn't have the experience. This dude graduated from Columbia, the mm-hmm. bachelor's, graduated from Harvard Law, presided over the Harvard Law Review, mm-hmm. taught constitutional law at the University of Chicago, which is a prestigious university. And I saw how they were all over him, and mm-hmm. everything he did was wrong. And it was—you could see—they were—they were spread They spread nasty, nasty rumors about him being Muslim, he, he, him being a terrorist, him being a, uh, a, 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 a Kenyan, racially motivated. Mm-hmm. And that birtherism thing was all Trump.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And then this—then all of a sudden, Trump gets in the White House, and. He is the most inarticulate, mean-spirited, undisciplined, unfaithful to his wife,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and white people love it. Mm-hmm. And with Obama, not all white people. There are white people who you could turn on, like Seth Meyers and mm-hmm. and uh, Steve Carell and Jimmy Kim. They hate him, right? A lot yeah. of people hate him. A lot of white mm-hmm. people hate him. Mm-hmm. But their Trump supporters are just they're 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 in love with him, and. I, and I and I can't help but to think like there's an image of black excellence that troubles white bigots. They mm. hate it. There's some time there. There's something about black excellence and black authority that mm. troubles some racist white people.
0: And Why is that? Why is that? Do you think?
1: Lyndon B. Johnson he said something that was really interesting. He said this, and you can look it up. I hope I get the quote right. He said. If you can convince if you can convince white people that the that the best colored person is lower than the lowest white person, they'll empty their pockets for you. If you hmm. give them somebody to hate, they'll always support you. And so and this goes hmm. back to America and this when we talk about race when we talk about tolerance in America, one of the things that I think is important to consider is how do we get from Obama to Trump,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and, and not not how do we end up with a Republican president, because not all Republican policies are terrible. I'm mm-hmm. the first one to say that. Mm-hmm. Nobody's right all the time. The Democrats don't have a monopoly on what's good governance. Right. There, there's things that the Democrats do well, and that are policies that are good. And there's there's policies that they have that aren't so good. Mm-hmm. And there's policies that come from Republicans that are terrible. And there's policies that come from Republicans that are very, very beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting side note, mm-hmm. Obamacare was actually a, uh, it started in a Republican state, which was Massachusetts, who was run by Mitt Romney at the time. Mm-hmm. The idea of Obamacare came out of the American Enterprise Institute, which is a conservative think tank. So when, mm-hmm. you, when people rally against Obamacare as a government takeover and insult my freedom, that's actually the Republican idea actually put into practice, but wow. it was championed by a Democrat. Side note.
0: Anyway, oh, um,
1: one of the things that's interesting is when you think of, like, America and when you think about how, like, how do we get from Obama to Trump? Mm-hmm. Not a Democrat to Republican president because there are 16 other people running for all. Republican and any of those 16 would have been fine right mm-hmm. they picked the craziest guy right who was saying the craziest things what trump keyed in on and you can look at this in his campaign mm-hmm. make america great again mm-hmm. which to you what
0: is it code for make america white again
1: <laughs> absolutely right mm-hmm. when was america great
0: mm-hmm. for who or Maybe. i would say for who make america great or for yeah exactly the question is for who maybe for some people it was really good for other people it wasn't so good like it's slowly starting to get better you know but yeah you're you're right that's a that was an important slogan
1: yeah and and so if you look at how trump appealed to his base right and he's Mm -hmm. always done and continues to do he always appeals to them where it's there's cultural and ethnic intolerance racial intolerance, he speaks to that specifically without speaking to it overtly. Like he'll sit there and say, if you vote for me, you could say Merry Christmas again. When could you not say Merry Christmas, right? Mm -hmm. And so what what he understood was that demographically, America is shifting away from the same cultural capital. I call it white cultural certainty. Whites have had always had the luxury of being the majority mm-hmm. and when you' when you're the majority and also how this the, the, the law was written, we talked about how America was not uh, built for, 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 for black men. America was built for white Christian Protestants.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and they also happen to be the majority. So those two things really work together. And when you have a system or a cultural system that supports your culture, it brings about cultural certainty. And what that means is society is geared to support white culture and everything we do, right? You don't have to... Let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Do you have to to request Christmas off of it? No. For your job? No. Do you have to request uh, a Muslim holidays off for your job? Yes. Okay. There you go. That's privilege. Mm. In effect. Right? Mm -hmm. Our culture is set up to where places are automatically closed for Easter for 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 Christmas, mm-hmm. right? But your holidays that pertain to your religion, they have to be requested. Mm-hmm. Right? So our culture is set upon white culture, white cultural norms, white cultural practices.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: What's and, and and not only that, there's a notion in in among whites, white ideology that if you work hard in America,
3: mm-hmm. you
1: play by the rules, you do the right things, you're going to do better than Your father, your parents did, Mm -hmm. and kids are going to do better than you, that you're going to keep kind of moving up. Um, What we've seen in the last 30 years is because of things like globalism, um, automation, technology, um, the world, the economy kind of the world economy being fused like a global economy. Mm -hmm. We're seeing those 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 white certain guarantees economically, culturally, they're not they're not guaranteed anymore. So mm-hmm. you'll have a white gentleman who might've worked, you know, whose grandfather might've worked in the factory and was able to provide for his family. And then his son provide for his family even better. And then that son goes to work in the same factory or at the same plant. And they sit there and say, Oh, sorry, we're moving to Mexico. Or we're mm-hmm. moving to China. We're moving offshores," mm-hmm. And what does that white man do? Right. And so this is in the last Twenty years, thirty years, we've seen that they're not. It's not a guarantee for white men like it used to be, or white people like it used to be. Mm -hmm. It's not a a dump that they're going to do better than their parents. For minorities like us, that's nothing new. Mm -hmm. We know that at any point something can be taken away from us. There's no guarantees for us. Mm -hmm. But for whites, that that's actually. It's created um, anxiety and fear, hmm. cultural fear, because they see that now there's more. Um, I, I guess it's the U.S. Census uh, Bureau uh, came out. The 2010 US, U.S. Census Bureau mm-hmm. came out with a projection that in 20, it was initially 2043, and then they revised it to 2045. Mm-hmm. Uh, White's going to no longer be in the majority. They're going to be a large minority cultural group. They'll be 49.7% of the population. Mm -hmm. Um, The rest of the country, the majority is just gonna be a bunch of uh, minority groups. They're gonna be the majority. Hmm. So there's fear in a lot of circles among white voters and white people Mm -hmm. who, not all white people, but a large group of white people who feel like with changing demographics, with a global economy, um, with technology changes and automation, that they're losing their place in american culture hmm. and when you're controlled by fear instead of tolerance and being rational a lot of times you make bad decisions and and trump was able to trump was able to see this fear amongst a lot of white people and he's used it and he's exploited it hmm. and uh, and and that's that's driving a lot of the intolerance that we're seeing hmm. you know and and I've seen that as a minority maybe you can share your experiences Mm -hmm. where you know since this administration has come into play it's exacerbated racial tension and animus it's made the country more divisive and it's made people who might have been like not as um vocal more vocal and overt about their intolerance so maybe you can speak to that uh, from your experience Mm
0: -hmm. um I feel like races have have um, previously existed prior to Trump, right? But I feel like after him and his administration came, like he somehow um, gave them a voice so they don't feel as, um, like they're not as fearful as much. Like before they are kind of keeping it on the down low, a lot of them, right? But now because of like some of the stuff that he says uh, or maybe they get expired from other things, like, you know, we were talking on the phone the other day like, uh, remember when I was talking to you about the um, the shooter in New Zealand who walked into the mosque and, and gunned down, who murdered uh, 50 people, men, women, and children? And um, we talked about how he quoted Donald Trump, right? Like, that was uh, something very prideful for him. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm not saying that, like, Donald Trump, like, he... <laughs> he gave him his blessing to do something like, you know, like he was directly influencing this guy, but you know what I'm trying to say. So like, I find that very interesting. Like we're living at a time now. I feel like we're going backwards. Like we were doing good and kind of like what you were talking about um, with Obama as a person. I think um, he has really good uh, morals and values like you. I didn't agree with everything he did. Like I didn't like his, um, I feel like he did one too many drone strikes in Pakistan um, he, was, he was supposed to close down Guantanamo Bay yeah you know but like you there's like there's that that I didn't like there's some things that he he did or said that I did like but as a person he was a good mo like I couldn't imagine Obama saying some of the stuff that Trump has been saying today mm-hmm. and has been saying since since he got elected you know what I mean like 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 the go back to your country you know like for me that that really hits home, you know. Like, like you're telling a, a congresswoman to go back to her country, you know. Remember, I don't know if you remember this when uh, with, he was talking to uh, congresswoman uh, Ilhan Omar, and he's basically telling you know if you don't like it here, you can go back to where you come from. Or I, I'm I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember what he said word no, for word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if, if somebody hears that and they're like, "Wow, the president of the United States, if he's saying it to somebody," then I can say it to my neighbor. I can say it to this random person. I can say it to this Muslim family who um, is trying to vacation in a city in Missouri. You know that, that happened to me. We were just like walking down the street, and then someone was coming in the car, and it was like, go back to where you came from. And then they just... <laughs> me." Oh, no, I'm dead serious. Oh, you know? my goodness. It, that, happened, that happens to me a lot. They the go back to where you came from. Um, remember when I was she working said-
1: at... North Carolina. What's that? Uh, yeah, hey, I'm from North Carolina, asshole.
0: I didn't have enough time to talk to him. You know, like yeah. um, you remember, I worked at Subway many moons ago, right? That was like one of my first jobs uh, when I came you, back. You know, Second you and sub. And
1: <laughs> you're like my brother. For you guys, you don't know. Yeah. my brother. Man, when I knew him, man, we were both in college, right? And my brother and I, and we all we were poor. The only person mm. who had money was your brother, Nasser. Mm-hmm. right the rest of us were like <laughs> scrounging by they, yeah doing they, they can't could yeah and so we found out that you know whoever had whoever worked at a food place would have to feed everybody they're responsible <laughs> for it. Yeah. So when the, when 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 his brother Ayad worked at the village inn he was responsible for <laughs> feeding all his friends for free and then the men worked at worked at a subway mm-hmm. a man Responsible for feeding us for free. So I come, my brother and I come in there, we're starving and we're waiting for these free subs. And I was like, Chris, okay, I can do this, but remember, I'm being watched. So I have to run your card for like um, 12 cents. I was like, I don't think it's going to go through. He's like, You don't have 12 cents. I said, You can try it, man, but I don't think it's going to go through. So then there and he grabs my card, he grabs my debit card. And he scrapes it for twelve cents, and he gets declined. And, and he has defeated look on his face, like oh. he couldn't believe how like poor I was. And he's like, "Just take your damn stuff." <laughs> we took the stuff, and we, God, we ate them. And then I was okay, you know. Mm-hmm. But Anthony gets up because I gotta, get, I gotta want another stuff to eat. And they're like, foot Long," and like, "God bless the man." He didn't make us just any subs. Mm-hmm. He packed full with meat. Mm-hmm. Like it was like chicken and meatballs. And <laughs> so we had this, like heavy ass subs that weighed like five pounds each. Mm-hmm. My brother eats his sub and he gets it and goes, I want another one. So he goes up to the front counter and he's like, Ahmed, can you make me another sub? And Ahmed looks at him and he goes, Are you serious? <laughs> and my brother says, dead in his face, he goes, I'm dead serious. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I can't tell the story as good as it was. You remember that, man? Yeah, man, that was so funny. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. Because, like, he's, I packed those sandwiches for you guys, like double meat, double meat and a half. And he comes back and he's like, Yeah, can I get another one? I was like, Dude, are you serious? And he was his, his reply was serious, too. He's like, Dude, I'm dead serious, man. I was like, <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, okay." And I think he ate it too. Did he finish it, Kristen?
1: Oh my! God. I don't god. remember.
0: Oh man, that was hilarious. That's man. a funny story. Thank you for sharing that, dude. Like, I almost forgot about that story. Oh, dude, I even forgot. Man, I had to tell a crazy story. But yeah. Anyways, um, <laughs> was oh, crazy where story. was I going? Oh yeah. So one day I was working at Subway, and this guy's like, uh, he was he was mean mugging me. You know, I'm making a sandwich. I'm like, oh god, here we go. He was like. He was like, "Why don't you just go back to where you came from?" Are you serious? Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, and where?" I was like, "Where is that, sir?" And he was like, thinking about it and looking at me. He was like, "Go back to Mexico." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh my!" I'm like, "Like, just get out of here!" Like, you know, what I mean, but it pisses me off. Like, if you would have said, uh, you know, go back to Palestine where your roots are at, or I would have been like, well, I'm impressed!" You know, like. Here's a soda on me, like that's that's impressive, but he wasn't even <laughs> right with the with the country. Right, right, nowhere close, R- uh, dude. Like, yeah. So, oh, oh, can can I say one more thing, Chris? I yeah, yeah. Um, I was doing another uh, my, my previous podcast. I was doing it with my uh, with my buddy uh, Tom, and we got to the topic of the the where are you from question, and for me, I t- I said that's really complex when someone asks me that because I've been asked that so many times. Like, I'm kind of wary uh, of where they're going with it. And, and the reason why I say that is because, you know, since I don't look Caucasian, I'm not white, I'm not black, so they're trying to figure out what I am, right? Um, and then, so I kind of struggle to tell I'm like, okay, do I say North Carolina because that's where I was born? Do I say Arizona because I lived there for a long time? Or California? Or should I just cut to the chase and say Palestine? You know, sometimes I'll say, like, oh, you know, I'm from north carolina and they'll be like oh no no, where are you really from and i'm like okay yeah i guess so i'm from originally from palestine oh that's cool and then i'll ask them the same question back and i'll be like oh where are you from oh i'm from kansas city okay where are your parents from oh you know we've been here for a while and i keep going this one time i just kept going and they're like yeah my great great grandparent is from germany i'm like oh so you're german then you know like why why is there a title placed on me but not on you or or like why do i have to always be from somewhere but you're from here you know like i feel like i'm automatically considered a foreigner and this goes back to what you're saying like like if i'm not white or christian i'm automatically an other or a foreigner or like i'm not i can't be an american and if i wasn't an american it's like what's the what's the big deal anyway you know, like I shouldn't have to explain to myself. Well, I was born in North Carolina, you know, and this and that, and I lived in Palestine for a few years, and you know, I mean, like I, it gets exhausting after all. Though.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's always this suspicion of, like, you know, that you're not quite American. That there's almost association that like whiteness is synonymous white white Christian, you know, uh, is, is synonymous with with uh, with whiteness. One of the things I think is important in that is that
3: mm-hmm.
1: we have to kind of look at it a little bit differently and what i do is i'll teach about white privilege in my class Hmm. and that's a turn off for students you know especially uh some older white male students i don't know why that demographic has issues when i talk about white male privilege or white privilege but one of the things i'll talk about is instead of talking about white privilege i'll talk about like white privilege and how like how whiteness is the default Mm -hmm. That guy's like, well, I'm not another culture. I'm the default. You're the other.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You're wow. the exotic other. I'm what's normal. When when we talk about that, that's white privilege. That gentleman would you was was you know dealing with his white privilege and was being called out on it uh, sarcastically. But uh, mm-hmm. one of the things I'll, I'll use one of the professors I work with, Dr. Swaba, he he mentions what's called right privilege not white privilege but right privilege right mm-hmm. for example what's your dominant hand man what what do you used to write with and, and do stuff with my right hand right and do you know anybody who's left-handed
0: um my sister's left-handed
1: okay so amani she's she's left-handed
3: mm-hmm.
1: okay so think about amani's experience right so mm. she she probably if you talk to your sister and ask her like you're right-handed. Your brother's right-handed. Your mom, your dad, you know, uh, and most people in your family are right-handed.
2: It's
1: mm-hmm. not a Manny's experience. And ask her, does she go through life where things are set up for people for set up for right-handed than left-handed? Hmm. And if you talk to your sister, she's going to tell you like yeah, can openers, yeah, ledgers, yeah.
3: Hmm.
1: Um, one guy told me uh, left-handed scissors. Scissors suck, man. <laughs> They're never for wow. You're left-handed people, and you talk to a left-handed person. They will go through a list of things that are just—it's difficult for them because it's—it's it's by default, society's mm-hmm. made up for the majority of people who are right-handed. Mm-hmm. And you're right-handed. Do you ever experience difficulties or things that are not set up for you, for you?
0: Uh, not really. Like I don't never really thought about that before.
1: Neither do I, because we're part of the dominant group. Mm. But if you're left-handed, you'll realize that. What we take for granted, Mm. they actually experience difficulty with. That's Mm. right privilege. We have right privilege. So, if right privilege is a thing because Mm -hmm. we're in a dominant group that cater towards us, is it too hard to believe that white privilege is a problem? Hmm. Society caters to the voice, they don't even realize it. We don't even realize that society caters to us as right handed. Every time we pick up a can opener, scissors, a spatula, whatever you name it, we don't even think about it. It's just normal. It's default. It's the way it should be. Well, but
0: if what you do you? In it, you never experience that. What do you say to somebody who's like, you know, what I'm white and I had it rough when I was young, and I'm still having it rough now? I don't believe in this white privilege that you talk about. Have you had anybody yeah. say that or, or like? All or the what, time. What, what are your thoughts on?
1: Yeah. Well, dude, you know what, man? Yeah, it is a thing, right? Where, like, yeah, there are white guys who who are white women, white people in general, Mm -hmm. who grew up in a very working-class situation. Um, There's a word called intersectionality. So, meaning that a person's not all one thing. Like, if you're white, it doesn't mean that everything is your – that's the sum of your existence. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: You're white. You can also be a woman. Mm-hmm. You can also be a felon. Mm-hmm. You can also be a, a recovering addict. You could be a. Um, you could be a veteran. You could be a engineer. You could be. There's a bunch of different identities that intersect with each other, and it mm-hmm. happens for white and black people. So you can be white and poor. You could mm-hmm. be white and working class, right? Mm-hmm. But you're still white. Yes. And so, even if a person is a, a cross section of, 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 of different memberships, mm-hmm. I call them memberships. You can still, you can still experience white privilege, even if you're poor. If you, even if you're a poor white person, you can still experience white privilege in ways in your. So there are aspects of still being poor and being white, right, to where, uh, for example, if you are to go get benefits from a – get government assistance, uh, people are are less skeptical of you. They may not even suspect your own government assistance. Mm -hmm. If you're black, you go down and get government assistance. They might think that you're trying to scam the system or that you're Mm. trying to cheat or trying to have more babies to get more welfare. There's a suspicion, right, um, that happens that uh, for for poor people of color, that may not happen uh, with with whites. There might be a uh, uh, an attitude that uh, blacks and Hispanics and people of color are undeserving of these government benefits as poor people, where white people just fell on hard times, and so. There's a different stigma attached to poorness sometimes. Mm. If you're poor and black versus if you're poor and white, mm. it still sucks to be poor, regardless of your skin tone. But I would probably take being I not probably I would take being poor and white over being poor and black any day of the week. Mm. Now, if it was a choice between being poor and white and black and Oprah Winfrey, <laughs> I'm taking black and Oprah Winfrey any day. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So it, it just all depends. One of the things that I, I talk about my students about when we talk about privilege is looking at dominant group memberships. Meaning, as an African American male, I'm black. Being a black male, being black is not a dominant group, right? It's mm-hmm. a it's a, a marginalized group. It's an oppressed group. But it doesn't mean that I don't experience privilege. I do. Mm-hmm. Even you, as a Muslim American you still experience privilege, you know? And so mm-hmm. it's important to consider those things too. Like, for example, yes, you're Muslim, which religious wise, you're not in the dominant religion in mm-hmm. America, right. right? Religion is the dominant religion in America, mm-hmm. but you're straight, which is the dominant group. You're male, mm-hmm. which is a dominant group. You mm-hmm. don't have a criminal record, which is a dominant group. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a job, you have an education, um, you, you own your home. So there's all these other benefits that you have, these mm. dominant, you're a citizen. You belong to a lot of other dominant groups and how you walk through life, sometimes you may not even consider the fact that you don't have a disability. Mm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And so what's important to do, because we, we, we love to call white people out on their privilege, but a lot of times we don't even reflect on our own privilege. Mm. Like do you ever go through life thinking about how difficult it is for people who have disabilities?
0: I mean, not as often as I should, probably.
1: And and so, and a lot of people don't think about their whiteness, right?
0: Mm. Yes.
1: Not as often as they should.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I don't think about, I got to be telling, I don't think about my my sexual orientation all the time. Mm
0: -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah.
1: I never had to come out to my parents and say, "Uh, Mom, Dad, sit down. We got to talk. I like women. (laughs) I like them. I think they're hot. Mm. Like, that's, I've never had to feel like people won't accept me
3: Mm.
1: because of my sexual orientation. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: I never had to pick a time to reveal what gender I'm I'm attracted to. That's privilege. You know? Mm -hmm. And you don't even think about that. We just kind of, we're citizens. We're U.S. citizens. We don't have to worry about necessarily crossing borders Mm -hmm. or, not being able to come back. We don't have to look over our shoulders for ice. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: We don't have to look over our shoulder for immigration. Mm -hmm. Like, that's privilege. You know what I'm saying? And so we have the... We don't have to worry as as readily about being sexually assaulted or Mm -hmm. raped. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's masculine privilege. And so Mm -hmm. we have these privileges that we don't recognize because it's the default. It's the most dominant common thing. And so... A lot of times we have to recognize our own privilege. I don't know what it's like to apply for a job with a felony. I mm-hmm. don't know what it's like to be a hard time and have to sit there and apply for a job and think people are going to think I'm still a bad guy because of a mistake I made several years ago. Mm-hmm. But there are people who don't have that kind of privilege. And so it's really important as we uh, implore whites to acknowledge their privilege. That we look at privilege in a more detailed way and that we are making connections with understanding our privilege too and how we can be allies to people who maybe don't belong to the same dominant groups we're in and how do we make sure that we are our brothers and our sister's keeper, Mm -hmm. that what's important and what's freedom and what equality looks like for somebody with a mental or physical disability Mm -hmm. is important to me too Mm -hmm. or somebody who is you know, um, uh, uh, somebody who might have uh, some kind of limitation, somebody who's homeless. Um, there's a really good uh, TED Talk called Second Story, or, or what is it called? Uh, Second Story? Or, yeah. or, oh, I forgot the name of it. But it talks about people who we, we don't get to know. Like, we we don't know them, but we've already made up their mind about what they're about. and. One of the groups I always do is I homeless people. We, mm-hmm. I drive by homeless people all the time. Mm-hmm. And you've heard this so many times, man. People are homeless, why? Because they're on drugs, mm-hmm. they're alcoholics, mm-hmm. they don't want to work, lazy. they have mental disabilities, they're lazy, they're on drugs, right? And so there's all these things. So we don't even look homeless people in their eyes. We mm-hmm. literally just step over them or try not to even make eye contact with them.
0: Get a job, and- Grouch. Here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: hey, <laughs> I live in a freaking section <laughs> <freaking laughs>
0: I have two questions before I forget. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. you, but I just wanted to ask them yeah. uh, before I lose them. One question is, um, do you think this is a good idea to teach, to um, put this in our education system? You know, like the K through 12, like, like start teaching our younger generation at a younger age rather than wait till they're in college, you know, like while, the, while their minds are still developing. You know, um, like, you know, not like just specifically white privilege, but just I don't know how it would be done. It would have to be done in a sensitive manner. But race, um, you know, racism, things like that. Um, That's my first question. You know, should we start teaching at a younger age? Do you think that would help? And question two, um, you've used the term African-American. I want to know what your thoughts are on that. For me personally, like, I don't like how we have to have labels. Like, if you're not white... Like, I'm Arab American. You know, why Why are there labels uh, on us? You know what I mean? Like, like for example, if we do that, why aren't Caucasian people called, like, European Americans, for example? You know what I mean? So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Like, I would rather, and just let me know, like, if you want me to say African American, if you feel that's a more polite term, you know, I'll, I'll say it. I feel like we should just get straight to the source. Like, if, you ref- if someone refers to themselves as white, why can't I refer to myself as brown or you as black? I mean, if we want to be consistent here, right? So I wanted to get your thoughts on, before I forget, th- those are the two questions so far I had, I had for you. No, no, that,
1: those are awesome questions. So the first question regarding, oh shoot, what was the first question on? Um, um, uh,
0: education, putting the uh, topic of racism and maybe uh, privilege not just white privilege, but like um, maybe we should talk about minority privilege or whatever, put that in our education system. Like, do you think if that'll be a good idea, a good idea to kind of yeah. help with, with the racism and and maybe if we teach more of the younger generation, they won't be as racist as, as they get older?
1: You know, there's a really good book. It's called Teaching What You're Not. And it's really directed towards like, I think it's directed towards like white educators who are teaching on topics of culture and inequality, and how can they relay those topics, even though they are they belong to more dominant culturally dominant groups? Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the ways. Now, I've read the book, but I've read I've read excerpts from the book, but I haven't read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I I would say this: one of the things I would think would be really great for teaching kids. Yes, it is good to teach kids at a young age, but it it's important to have a diverse we need to diversify education at every level hmm. and for for kids who might live in a white community where they may not have uh, Muslim Muslim Americans, they may not have African American folks just walking around or mm-hmm. Hispanic, pulling finding those parents who are Hispanics, who are black, who are Arab, Muslim, to pull them in and and, 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 and to develop a curriculum. And, and it will require parents to be involved in the conversation too. Like, hey, can you come down to the school and can we talk to you about what your life is like, what your experience are at, and elicit mm. and, and the help of people who are in that community to where it's just not a, a blonde hair, blue eyed teacher explaining to us what Muslims are like or what black people are like, mm. but we can actually have black entrepreneurs black members of the community hmm. come in and talk to students from a young age and talk about some of the challenges and issues that involve race in a, in a way that's appropriate for that age group. Hmm. You know, going into a bunch of kindergartens and talk about <laughs> systemic racism, you know, right. but there's ways to unpack race in a way that's appropriate for their age. Mm-hmm. But I think what's most important is that uh, the topics consist of the groups that you're talking about, you know, whether it's Native Americans hmm. or, or what have you. And so I think that's one kind of uh, really good approach is to invite members of the community
0: in. Mm, I like
1: Besides that. The, the other question that you have, it's really complex, uh, and I'm not—I I don't focus on this area of scholarship. It's a—it's—it's it's out of the critical tradition um, uh, in, in communication. It's, uh, I believe, whiteness is an area of focus that comes out of the critical tradition and whiteness studies. And so it, t- it talks about how, like, basically, it studies whiteness. And there, there's, I forgot the name of the author, but she wrote a book called White Fragility and how white is kind of like the default cultural norm. Mm-hmm. So when you ask somebody well, where they're from, if they're white, they're going to say, well, I'm an American, mm-hmm. right? But we have all these hyphens. Um. So there's that, it, it's dialectical in a sense that If you go too far on one end, like African, if you go too far on one end, like African American, uh, Hispanic American, uh, Muslim American, like you start doing, attaching all these things, Mm -hmm. and then you have white people, and then white is just American. They don't have to have any, right? Yeah. If you do that, then it makes it, you know, it, it has that connotation to it, and there's that influence. But then if you just sit there and say, well, we're all Americans. And it doesn't matter if you're Muslim. Doesn't matter if you're black. Doesn't matter if you're Korean. We're just all Americans. Then you might venture into the other side of the the the, the weeds, which is called color blindness, mm. and that's brought with peril too. Um, so I honestly don't know the answers. I, I hear people sit there and say bullshit like that. Like I don't see black. I don't see white. I don't see. Oh, I don't see color. I, I don't see color. I see Americans. We're all one. And I'm just like, if I walk up behind you <laughs> in, at 8 a.m. when it's dark at night, you're very much going to see my color. Um, mm-hmm. So, so colorblindness, not seeing anything, not seeing any of the hyphens, just yeah. seeing that we're all one, we're all Americans, that doesn't work. And then when you get too hyphenated, where all the distinctions have to have hyphens, and then the white folks don't have to have hyphens, that's kind of – Messed up in its own degree. Yeah. What's the solution? I yeah. don't know. But I will tell you that, like, colorblindness doesn't work, but then mm-hmm. being too tuned into somebody's differences to the point it causes us to behave differently is a problem, too. Mm. And it's not only a problem for white people, it's a problem for us. Like, we start looking at people different, like, oh, that's a Muslim American. Oh, and, and so we think that there's something different, that they're, they're just different. Mm -hmm. and they're not even American, they're more Muslim comes first, and an American kind of trails after we are no longer suspicious of you. (laughs) Mm. Black comes, Afro comes first, and then the American comes after we realize they're not going to steal from us. People are like, you know, how they can have like racial, um, they can have prejudiced belief systems. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they'll sit there and say, I'm not racist. But even though, as they're saying I'm not racist, we see in this video that Mm -hmm. the biases and the stereotypes and the racial biases are actually still working as you're denying uh, racism. Mm -hmm. Uh, These these racial stereotypes are are very much at work determining what you see, what you hear, and what you think. Mm -hmm. But another great point of the video shows is that these racial stereotypes just don't exist within, even towards... Minority groups just don't exist within just white folks, right? They actually mm-hmm. tra- L- look at the black guy he was preaching to the white guy about "don't judge a <laughs> book by cover," don't yeah. judge a black man when he walks in. And then as soon as the other brother walks in, he's like, "Oh God, please no!" <laughs> 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 right? Yeah, and so, uh, you know, it, it just shows you how like complex it is. You know, man, I've known black people to be, and it's not. We think race is all one thing, right? We think "Mm, Jim Crow, white people, hated black people, colored drinking fountains only. Mm. Um, And there are whites that I know that are totally cool and are very nice Mm -hmm. uh, on a lot of things. But then there are certain aspects and certain belief systems that they have that that I realize. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. We're really good on these things, but these other issues are, 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 are racist. Mm-hmm. I know uh, black people. Black people can't be racist. Bullshit they can be. Mm-hmm. I know some racist black people. And really mm-hmm. cool on one aspect and a lot of different things, but on some aspects, they're racist as hell.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, now, I believe that black people can be racist and prejudiced. It's harder for black people to be discriminatory. Because mm-hmm. discriminatory means that you have to have a you have to have power and the mm-hmm. ability to exclude and dominate other people, like not hire them, mm-hmm. not leave them, you know, not rent to them, not hire them. Um, and so Black people may not, not finance things that they want. Mm-hmm. So Black people, in a lot of situations in society, can be in a position where they can be racist towards somebody, but they may not necessarily have the social position to discriminate against somebody, where white people uh, uh, have have that opportunity doesn't mean that they will, but they have the opportunity to to act out their prejudices mm-hmm. through discrimination more readily than black people do. But black people can be, they can be, they can be racist. But um, I've seen black people be racist. I've seen Hispanic people be racist. Mm-hmm. We're like the I, I known like Hispanic people to be like so nice, but. Don't you date their daughter. Mm. That's really weird, right? Yeah. And you know, I've known other Muslims to have perceptions, negative attitudes mm-hmm. t- towards black people. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And you might have seen that exist in, in mm-hmm. some 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 uh, uh Muslim circles where they're mm-hmm. just like, you know, like, yeah, you know, we've been treated bad. Don't trust those black people though, because they're no you know, it mm. it and, and among black people they'd be like, yeah, we're treated bad, but Mm, You don't trust those Muslims. Like, it's crazy that every group Mm -hmm. has a little bit of like bullshit (laughs) and and intolerance towards other people. Yeah. Even if you're a marginalized or oppressed group, you still kind of get the attitude of like, "Mm, we're still better. Just don't trust these cats.
0: You see, have you seen that, that? I mean, is it just me? No, no, no. Chris, you know what's what's interesting is I um, see that in, in the Islamic circle as well like there's Arab Muslims, and oh, that's the Pakistani uh, mosque. We're going to go to the other mosque that has more uh, Arab in it. Or, or uh, you know, there's a Somali mosque, but that's downtown. So I even, you know, racism is not only like from one race to another, or or like, you know, from, wow. for, yeah, or like religion, like, oh, you know, be careful the Christians or Jews or whatever. It also, this is sadly like sadly i have to admit this it's also within the same religion it it exists as well you know what i mean it's a sickness dude it's a virus i don't know if it was you or somebody that told me like um black americans are are going through two different are dealing with two different viruses covid19 and and racism you know what i mean and racism is not it's not just like one umbrella like there's so many things underneath that bro Oh, wow. George Floyd's neck. <laughs> Thank you for following, man. I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, I've seen that. And then I've also seen, this is sad to admit, but um, you know, there's also racism within like there's Muslims and then there's like, okay, there's black Muslims. And I've heard that they've been treated differently or new or white Muslim, you know, what's is White Muslims have a hard time sometimes. And then they might revert back because they just had such a horrible experience you know what i mean so it exists in different types it's not just uh di- one way directional if that makes sense so i, I yeah, completely understand yeah. understand what you're saying
1: it's so it's so complex you know man i honestly think and i'm under this train of thought it doesn't excuse the racism that we saw or the oppression that's happened to minority groups at the hands of whites but dude i'm convinced Med, if you had just a group of one race of people, just mm-hmm. all the same skin color, yeah, all blonde, blue eyed, or all whatever, they would they would still find a way to divide the, the divide themselves
0: up. You know what's a good you know?
1: example? Also, Sunni and Shiite Muslims, and they're still yeah. Muslims, but the Sunni and Shiite, there's different factions of Islam. Mm-hmm. There's been Christians, there's Episcopalian, Catholic, Protestant. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Pentecostal, uh, uh, Presbyterians, Lutherans,
3: mm-hmm.
1: man, it's it, why and they, they, they fight against each other. Mm-hmm. Catholics and Protestants, you know, they've been at each other's throats mm-hmm. for how long? And mm-hmm. it's just like it's literally the same religion. And and so it's so interesting because even even in Islam, I can't speak to it as as uh, as knowledgeable as you have, can, but you can see that. There's different factions and people don't. I just think like, no matter what, people are just going to find a way to divide themselves up.
0: Mm-hmm. You, you know what I was thinking about too, like the Indian caste system, for example. Like they're all Indians, but there's a huge difference on different exactly. levels. You're, you're like, mean, whoa. like you guys are all in, Indians. You know what I mean? Like you're born into that caste system. Yeah, you can't get out. Like you're you're you're, you're born into you're, it.
1: You're low, you're low, and you're all you're all Indians.
0: Yeah. That's what I was thinking about. It's very fascinating.
1: So think about this, man. This is kind of a horrible story, but it's true. So I went to Japan to visit your brother.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So I'm sitting there in Japan, and like one day he had to work. I was a rock star in Japan, let
0: me tell you. (laughs) Oh, man. Nice.
1: Dude, I I was tubbier than everybody. Like, I was walking (laughs) in, moving people out in my stomach. Excuse me. Excuse me. Coming through. (laughs) Girl, pinning up. Japanese people against the glass. <laughs> that was so big. I got to tell you this crazy story, man. So, when I call, Iyad, I I said, I'm coming out to Japan. He's like, Really? I'm like, Yeah, bro. And, like, literally, even though I bought the ticket, I had all my information about the flight and everything, he could not believe I was in Japan until I was actually there. Oh. I just, you eating any, I just see him looking at me. I'm like, what I, what I, He's like, Dude, I cannot believe you're sitting <laughs> right now. I'm like, no shit man neither can <laughs> i man this is a different world they ain't ready for me yet so i call i call yet yeah, i said yo yo man listen i'm coming over and i'm like what do i need to bring dude what you know what how how you got to set up and he lived in this tiny apartment mm-hmm. like his apartment smaller than this room or mm-hmm. about the same size as his room it was so small it was so small mm-hmm. so, we 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 go on. I said, man, how am I going to sleep? He goes, Do you have a bed or something. He's like, well, I sleep Japanese style. I'm like, what does that mean? He said, <laughs> like, well, I roll up mat. It's like this thick, and he just passes out. I said, well, oh, that's not going to work for me, man. <laughs> I'm like, Dog oh, big dude. I can't be sleeping on a mat, man. Mm-hmm. So I brought an extra suitcase to Japan with the with a queen size air mattress. <laughs> wow, it was smaller than this room. Mm-hmm. And this is, a, I'm in my office, but it's a bedroom. Mm-hmm. Get there in his room and I took a shower and it was time to go to bed. I blew up this air mattress. It took up 90% of his room. <laughs> it was like his room and in like 90% of it was a queen mattress. <laughs> I blew it up. And, like, literally, it's like me being American, you know? I'm like, yeah, this is America. I'm pulling up this huge-ass mattress. <laughs> and I go to bed, and he's sitting there on the floor in, like, this little corner of the room. I'm like, good night. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's hilarious, I'm not,
0: too. <laughs> I'm not making this up, dude. It was hilarious. So, anyways, when I was in
1: Japan, I was – so there were things I yet had to work. So on the days he had to work, he couldn't show me around. He had one of his good friends show me around. She's a real nice, really nice person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we're sitting there, and we're, we're in Kobe. We're in Kyoto or Kobe? We're in Kobe. Really, it's one of the nicer days I had because it was like, uh, I'm a big dude. I, you know, I'm i starting to walk and exercise now more, mm-hmm. You know, more than a few miles That's a good. day. In Japan, I walked like nine miles a day. Wow. Like, fuck, you walk. A mile to the bus, th- the train. You walk a mile to get food. Like every day, we were walking miles and miles and miles, and it was humid.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, like, it was kind of hard on me physically. But by the end of the time, I was feeling okay. But we had a nice day in Kobe. We went to Kobe. Me and uh this tour guide, she's real nice, Japanese lady, mm-hmm. and she you know, spoke English. And she's like, and we're sitting on a boat, and there's these, there's these Chinese people. I don't know who you know what they were. She's like, mm-hmm. she's, she's like, hey. Chris those are those are Japanese. I mean those are Chinese people. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah. And she's like, I don't like Chinese people because oh, snap. They're, because they're rude and they're dirty. Oh. And I'm like, well, talk your shit, man. Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> and I remember just sitting there like you realize though, if you come to America and you get in a car accident, you're Chinese. Mm. Like we in America don't make the distinction mm. between Korean, Vietnamese, Chinese—like mm-hmm. you guys come here, you're all Chinese. Mm. Like, oh, look at that Chinese dude over there, and you could be Vietnamese, you could be Korean, but in America, like we we just kind of label everybody Chinese. But going there, like, and I guess it could be my cultural ignorance, but I was like, yo, man, like, what beef you got with what beef you got with uh with Chinese people? And then I yet had to take me through the history of, like, Korea, Japan, which tried to take over a lot of stuff, you know, back, you know, post-war, pre-World War II. And, uh, you know, and, and just, you know, making people learn Japanese and, and uh, it, there's just these, these, these uh, animosities that exist within these Asia Pacific nations and people that, you know, they're not overtly rude to each other, but they do judge the hell out of each other. And like I'm just like, like y'all all Asians, like mm. what 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 the hell? But to them it's something, and it's just weird. Like when you start getting into cultures, like you start looking at Hispanic cultures, mm-hmm. they'll start dividing each other up, like, oh, that's a Chilango. that's a this, that's that, that's mm-hmm. that person, that's that. they start dividing each other up and and they start judging each other. Mm. You know, black people, we start judging each other. Light skinned versus dark skin. Like I'm yeah. a dark skinned. You know, you got them light skinned people like Beyonce. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and if you're light skinned, you're more likely to be, you know, on get on TV and to be, you know, to be, you know, held up in a higher esteem. If you're dark, being dark and being a male isn't that bad, but if you're dark and you're a female, you know, African American, mm-hmm. it's you you know, it's tough. It's just tough. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so there's always we divide each other up, even within ethnic groups. And it, it's 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 really sad. But in and, and ethnic groups and in uh in, in religious groups, we we divide each other up and we we judge each other and we separate people within a culture. It's so mm-hmm. it's so weird, man. I I don't even know why it makes sense. It, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. hmm. I just wanted to go back a bit and talk about um, Islam. I want to try to end on a positive note because I may have yeah. sounded a little negative. Um, my prophet, peace be upon him, he taught us that, he told us directly, there's no difference between an Arab and a non-Arab, between a black person and a white person. So he's taught he was preaching about racism like 1,400 years ago. Right. So, and the reason why I bring this up is because I didn't want people to think like, oh, you know, like they're so racist. Muslims are so racist towards one another. No, no, no. That's not a part of the teaching at all. You know, like when we pray, we're taught to close the gaps. And and before this whole COVID thing, like when I was able to go to the mosque, that was one thing I took pride in. You know, sure, there, there could be some diversity in some churches, but I was really proud. It's like I can pray like to the right of me. There could be a dude from uh, from Somalia. And then from the left of me there can be a dude from Pakistan. But we have to make sure that we're close together and we close the gaps. You know, and the reason why we do that is is we don't even want to make sure that we're racist even when we're playing praying with our fellow uh brothers. You know what I mean? So I, I just had to say that. I was I was thinking about that the whole time. Like
1: you No, know, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful way to kind of end things with that with that teaching from uh the prophet. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Muhammad mm-hmm. is is to, is to have that that kind of where you erase those distinctions and you treat people as your brother mm-hmm. and I think that we can learn through those lessons of your faith right and and my faith teaches things that are similar too. Mm-hmm. um except there's a lot of people that sometimes don't live up to that right but it, it it's if it, we can hold to those lessons and if You as a Muslim, even though we're different faith, you as my Muslim brother Mm -hmm. can live out your faith authentically with conviction Mm -hmm. and doing it the right way. You can bear witness and you can bring other people, you know, maybe they'll convert to Islam, maybe they they won't, Mm -hmm. but you can bring your community together and you can set an example for people. You know, people may never become a Christian. Mm -hmm. But at least they know that I I love them, and even if they're white, and I and I know I, I and I I try to be fair, and mm-hmm. it doesn't look like I hope I don't sound like I'm out to get white people. I think white people are horrible. No, I don't. You can love yeah. white people. I love black people. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but we need to make sure that we're bringing people together, and mm-hmm. and really, you know. That's that. And that's the whole thing, you know, just to come back to the to, to what's going on in the streets and the cities mm-hmm. is that's what makes me sad about the riots is that we need to bring people together. It's 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 you can't do addition by subtraction. Mm-hmm. We need to add people to the conversation. We need to add. Uh, and I and, and as a as as a Christian black man, mm-hmm. I need you as a Muslim and as 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 a Muslim American. Mm-hmm. of Arab descent. I need you just like you need me. Mm-hmm. And we need to find ways to come together yeah. and to and to use the best of what our religion teaches us mm-hmm. to unite our community and yeah. uh, mm-hmm. divide our community. So mm-hmm. I think that's what we owe that to our faith. And I think we owe that to each other mm-hmm. because that's how we do things the right way.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I appreciate that, man. I'm glad that we're ending this um, on a good note. Like, we kind of started off very seriously, talked about some serious stuff. Some of it may sounded uh, may have sounded a little depressing. Um, but I'm glad we're ending it like this, where it's okay for us to be of different colors and different religions. You yeah. know what I mean? And still get along with one another. I'm sure even though you probably wish that I was a Christian and I wish that you're a Muslim, it's okay for us to have different ideas as long right, as we yeah. respect one another. I love talking about uh, religion. You know what I mean? But we need to go beyond that. Like, if you and I can do it, hopefully other people can do it. And then from individuals, we can get bigger and bigger. And then as a society as a a whole, we can become more tolerant. You know, and it all starts. Oh, go ahead, man. No, that's the goal. That's the whole goal. You said it right. Mm -hmm. And um, basically, like what you've been saying all along, it's all about, you know, communication, trying to break down barriers and and just to get, get to know your fellow human being. You know what I mean? That's the bottom line. If we can do that more and on a, on a bigger scare scale, instead of saying us versus them, oh, my gosh, these scary immigrants are going to come and, and kill us. All. They're going to take over and invade, you know.
1: When we talk about, like, being open to other cultures, you know, mm-hmm. and just getting to know people. And, you know, I remember, you know, like, I'll tell you the story and, I, and I, I'm just being honest with you, you know. Sure. Um Ied was going through a, a situation when he was in college. Um, you know the situation he was mm-hmm. going through, yeah. tough situation. And uh he really needed to speak to an imam at a at a at a, at a mosque mm-hmm. to talk to him about you know what he should do with his situation. Yeah. And I remember we're both at ASU, and there's there's a mosque just like mm-hmm. just north of uh, university. Yeah. And he's like, Hey man, can you come with me? I'm like, oh you know, man, I can't, you know. And I didn't go with them because I was afraid to mm. as a Christian. I just like, well, what, what does that mean if I go into a mosque? And you, know, it was just, it was this fear, you know? And mm. I don't know why, I don't know why I had that fear. Mm. You know, it's not like you go in there and they're like, you convert now. It wasn't even <laughs> a, a it wasn't even a mock, like a service. Yeah. You know, it was just, it was just like just going to talk to an Imam. Mm-hmm. and, you know that barrier kept me from being there with Ayed, and just mm. and so, you know, later on, I mean, I made connections with the uh, with the Islamic Temple of, of Tempe, and uh, mm-hmm. sat there and, and talked to the guys. I, I went through, you know, a service, and it was really cool, really really nice message. You know, they had prayer and everything like that, mm-hmm. and very welcoming environment. I really really uh, got a lot out of the service. I thought it was really cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and when was that? When did you? How long after? That like when you first declined to go, years later. Years. Mm.
1: Yeah, two thousand three, I think, and then I went back to the Islamic Temple, probably in two thousand and I want to say probably 2013,
0: 2014. Oh wow. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just wonder, wondering. No, 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 no,
1: no. And so yeah, and the people were totally nice there. And there's like people who are you know, of course, uh, from different parts of the world. You can see that there's some were from like you know Pakistan, some were from. You know, a uh, 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 um, um, Somalia, somewhere mm-hmm. from like one of the guys who showed me around was Hispanic. Oh, wow, left cool. Catholicism for Islam, and his family's just like, wait, wait, Ooh, what? They wigged out. Huh? <laughs> yeah, wait, what? And so <laughs> he told me a story. It was, it was really cool to hear, like you know, all these things, and and so it brings me to my point. Is like, it's okay for people to be a part of their culture, and we get comfortable with our culture mm. and it's it's comfortable for us and it doesn't make you a bigot or a bad person but we have to be willing to step out of our own culture and out of our own comfort. I remember you came to a church service with me mm-hmm. uh for a class and you were like like they had donuts. Oh yeah I remember right? that yeah you donuts at your church and you guys are all singing and raising your hands. Yeah. <laughs> so you know we have to be able to like suspend our judgment and just be able to get to know other people, get into a different culture. And even if we make mistakes, even if we don't understand what's going on fully, mm-hmm. just, just participating is cool enough. Just showing up and just being around and keeping an open mind. Mm-hmm. And so I'm reminded of a time where I have this friend, uh, a coworker. She was a good friend. Mm-hmm. Her sister got married and she's, uh, she's, she's Hispanic. She's mm-hmm. from Mexico. She was born in Mexico. Her family's all from Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, uh, She invited me to this very traditional Mexican wedding. Hmm. Uh, Like like the whole service, the marriage service, it was at a Catholic church, no English. It was all in Spanish, all all, like total Mexican. And so we go to the reception, and I'm like the only black dude there. And I'm the (laughs) only brother that's not wearing like snakeskin boots and one of those big hats, you know? (laughs) Uh-huh. And so they have this thing where it's all in Spanish, and they're like, "Hey, we're gonna do this dance." And if you if you guys out here who're Hispanic, you'll know what I'm talking about from a mm-hmm. traditional Hispanic family, where the men get up and you hold hands, mm-hmm. and you run around the groom in this huge circle. And now they say, "Chris, they're speaking Spanish. Get up there, do it, do it, do it." And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> "I don't know what are doing. Do it, do it. It's so fun." I'm like, ah, so I get up there, only black guy there, only black guy, I'm the only yeah. non-Hispanic person mm-hmm. there. Hold hands with these other like Mexican dudes, mm-hmm. and we're supposed to be running around the groom. And I'm like, okay, I'll do this little cultural thing you guys are doing, but I don't know yeah. what the hell's going on. <laughs> now you know me, dude. I'm a big dude. Like mm-hmm. I I have one speed and it's a strut. I don't move very fast. Mm-hmm. Mexicans were the fastest <laughs> Mexican on the planet. And I had to hold hands with them and just run around in the snake circle, and it was a crazy. But I did it. So I, I'll leave it on like a positive note, man. Oh, I didn't know what the hell was going great. on. I didn't know what I was doing. But you know what, oh. man? Just get out of your comfort zone. Go to a mosque. Mm. Go to a go, go to a, go to a mass. You know, hang out and go get go get Arabic food with with, with, your, with your with your Muslim friends. Go mm-hmm. get soul food with black friends. You know, go drink, like, one of those, like, uh, um, you know, all nature smoothies with your white friends. Mm-hmm. Um, or do, do goat yoga. Uh, what is it? Goat yoga? Mm-hmm. I'm joking. You know, hang out with your white buddies. Hang out with your black buddies. Mm-hmm. Hang out with different people. Different groups and get exposed to different cultures. And- and honestly, I think intolerance has a hard time surviving when you're open to other cultures. And so, when you're doing those things, um, that's where tolerance has the hardest time living and surviving. It can mm-hmm. still survive, but it's the more the more you expose yourself to different cultures, different belief systems, different backgrounds, the harder it is uh, for intolerance to survive. And the nice thing about it, I'll tell you this, mm-hmm. my man, I was I was a uh, so you know I knew you guys like I, like I kicked it with you guys were the main people I hung out with in college. Mm-hmm so we go back to new york during september 11th mm. we fly from phoenix to um after september six months six months after september 11th mm-hmm. we fly from phoenix to chicago chicago to new york which is right by new york city mm-hmm. so we get a plane and like as soon as we on a plane there's these they look I, I can't describe i don't know if they were muslims but they're wearing like the, the 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 thing with the little Rope, you know what is that thing called? I have one in my closet.
0: Oh, the um, the hatta. The is it like the white thing with the black? Yeah, circular? yeah, yeah, yeah. The hatta. Hatta. Yeah, yeah.
1: I had got me one from Palestine, so somewhere. Uh uh-huh. um, But they were wearing the hatta, and they're wearing you know the 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 clothes, and so we're flying from Chicago right to like basically New York City, mm-hmm. and you can see when they got on the plane. This is six months after September 11th. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody was just like. And everybody was paused. And, and I got to tell you this, man. Mm-hmm. I, I paused, too.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I was like, oh. And I was like, wait a minute, dude. No. We're not doing this. Mm-hmm. We're not yeah. doing this. We're not doing this.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: I, I have relations. I've seen. I have a reference point mm-hmm. of how Muslim families love each other. Mm-hmm. How Muslim families treat each other. Mm-hmm. How Muslims... How, how Islam is practiced in peace, mm-hmm. we're not doing that. Good for you. So you do have those ideas that pop up, but when you allow yourself those experiences, you can defeat them. Mm-hmm. If you don't have those experiences, if you've never seen Islam up close and you've never seen it practiced uh, peacefully or practiced with love mm-hmm. or building strong communities, you have no frame of reference. Mm-hmm. But all than the garbage you see on Homeland. hmm and that's why it's critical, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I was walking the other day and I saw we, we were going on a hike and a black kid walks, we, we, we parked our car and this black kid was walking and he kind of redirected where he's walking towards us. Mm-hmm. And he walked past us towards my car that we walked away from to go on our hike. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, 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 you know, should I stop? And look mm-hmm. back at this black kid and make sure he's not going to break into my car. Mm. Chris wow. we're, we're not doing that wow. we are going to trust that kid just like you're going to trust anybody else mm. and we got to trust each other mm-hmm. we got to believe the best in each other and we only that to interact with each other and when we build those relationships and that's all I'll say
0: so that's a very powerful message um, man I just wanted to thank you for your time um, it was very insightful like Like I've known you for so long, but I've learned so much in these past, uh, like this past hour or two, you know, um, thank you for your knowledge and your wisdom, and I hope um, whoever's listening, um, you know, you just get a little bit out of this, but you know, one thing I, I just wanted to add real quick, I agree with what you're saying, but I think maybe some people are afraid of that, you know how we're saying like, yeah, go ahead and experience other cultures and other religions, you know, I've been to a church uh you know a few different times just to see what it was like for you know for my personal experience but when somebody has their own culture and they feel like their culture is threatened by another culture or it might be erased or eradicated i think that's a very dangerous mindset and we just have to be very careful of that you know but yeah we have to we have to push through that dude yes you know i think we can and we will yeah yeah it's scary
1: I, man I was scared I, I mean I knew Japan I wasn't unsafe in Japan, but man, I was so scared in Japan because like hmm. I didn't I don't know anything about the culture, you know and, yes. and you know, I don't like octopus and I don't like mm-hmm. raw squid mm-hmm. uh, And I ate a lot of there, you know and but it, it there's a high level of anxiety. Uh, there's good literature to read by I want to say, I think it's Edward T. Hall. He's an uh, uh, intercultural scholar, hmm. and, um, and he talks about uh, intercultural communication apprehension to when we're, when we're entering uh, other cultures, we have higher level of anxiety because we're leaving the culture that's familiar to us, mm-hmm. and when we, leave, when we walk into a cultural situation that's unfamiliar to us, We have higher levels levels of anxiety, and and that's a real thing, but we have to confront those anxieties. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I think you know coming from your culture Mm -hmm. and I know coming from my culture, Mm -hmm. if a person is just trying, if they just make an effort, we don't expect them to be perfect. Yes. But we appreciate it that they are trying to learn, and so we give them grace even though they don't know everything.
0: Mm. Well said, man. Um I completely agree with you 100% 110% as long as we try and just have respect for one another race religion culture you know and I think it will get better I'm I'm an optimist you know and I'm hoping with time things will get better you know I'm praying that they will I pray for the black community in America we should all be united you know not only just the uh, black americans united everybody should be united with this and stand okay. with them you know yeah so hopefully things will get better with that um professor chris thank you so much man we have to right, um, end this end this stream uh hang on the phone though i'm just going to end the stream but um uh, thank you so much for your time man um i really appreciate right. it yeah. hopefully i can have you as a as a repeat guest because you're you yeah, have you so much it, knowledge man and very yeah, insightful we'll
1: talk, about, we'll talk about a lot of stuff man i'm, I'm, I'm always down with talking
0: cool man um to my viewers thank you for watching this and if you're watching on youtube um thank you so much and hopefully you'll get a little insight out of it or if not a little entertainment we had uh, some couple funny jokes in there but uh thank you so much for watching and uh from me and professor chris take care everyone peace all right peace out